If you ask entrepreneurs to reflect back on a venture and identify what's most valuable about the experience, how many do you think would say money, prestige, or the flexible work hours? While these things might be satisfying, most entrepreneurs will admit that it's the lessons learned along the way that make the bigger impact. From identifying a gap, to evaluating an opportunity, building a prototype, launching a service, growing a team, or even weathering a global pandemic, learning is vital to the business of being an entrepreneur. Today, we'll hear from two education entrepreneurs and follow their personal growth as founders and learners. My name is Christy Ivan, and welcome to the Innovet Exchange, a podcast for edupreneurs. Join me as I speak with the founders, makers, movers, and shakers who make up Innovet's community. Together, we'll explore what it means to innovate and how we can create the conditions for improving entrepreneurship education. Today's show is all about learning, the formal learning that is designed for students, and the informal or unofficial learning that edupreneurs gain from launching a venture. In this episode, we'll meet two edupreneurs from the InnoVed community who are reimagining the look, sound, and feel of educational tools and environments. First, we'll speak with Diana Aldejani, a mother, computer scientist, and founder of an online learning platform that helps children learn Arabic. Later, we'll meet Harrison Alejos, who is on a mission to use virtual reality to make vocational training, education, and certification both immersive and fun. Many people who are drawn to entrepreneurship can be described as lifelong learners. My first guest today certainly qualifies as one. Diana Aldajani is the CEO and founder of EduTechnos, an online platform where children can learn Arabic through play. It's a platform that offers online tutoring and live classes, as well as opportunities for Arabic speakers to become educators themselves. I spoke with Diana to learn the backstory of EduTechnos and what she discovered in her journey as an entrepreneur. My name is Diana Altajani, and I'm the founder and CEO of EduTechnos, where we actually gamify Arabic literacy education, and we use games. Um, I'm a mom. Uh, I studied computer engineering at University of Toronto and philosophy of education. I've been always having an eye towards education and what can be done. So yeah, this is like in a nutshell, this is uh, what, what I do. <laughs> Thanks, Diana. I'm, I'm very interested in your personal story. So can you take me back in time and share with us what motivated or inspired you to start EduTechnos? So if you can just picture this, I love Arabic language. And to me, I have a very romantic relationship with this uh, language, it's poetry and all of these amazing things. Here, my son, at around three, between three and five, he comes to me and he's like, I hate Arabic and uh, it's so hard. It's, I prefer English, it's easier and more fun. And to me, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> something needs to be done over here. So I made him just a game because I figured out he could not do the homework. So I made him a game using my computer engineering background and he loved it, it worked. He started telling me, can I just take Arabic just with you? I don't wanna go back to class. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, that wasn't the objective over here. And I was like, okay, if I quit my full-time job and do this, this will allow me to have more time. Wrong, that didn't happen. (laughs) I was very illusional about that. But this journey didn't even stop there, Christy, because I thought, yes, I've made it. My son started getting A's. He doesn't complain about Arabic. Arabic class is fun. We made it. And 
if you think about it, he loves Arabic and he's getting A's. So love plus A's equals what? He loves reading in Arabic. That wasn't the case. So I had to understand what's going on, why the curriculum is not preparing him to fall in love with reading in Arabic. And that journey actually took 10 years in the making. And I'm very grateful that with the full team, the distributed team and committed team, we figured it out. And because of all of this research and all the experimentation, this is where the new innovation in Arabic literacy education popped. So what I'd love to know, because I'm going to talk more about your own experience in problem solving and learning through the process. But first, because I'm so curious, could you describe what it looks like for children who are using your platform? So like right now, any kid can log in. They have access to over right now over 5,000 resources, games, worksheets, uh, ebooks, uh, videos. <laughs> they can choose this or that. It's gamified. This is very interesting, Christy. When I first started, I put the game only. And uh, I noticed it wasn't sticky enough. So we added the gamified platform. The games by themselves were not enough. It has to be another gamification layer. So we added competitions, competing in a a classroom, or globally top 50 users will be popped and celebrated, and then certificates collections. So we used game elements to make it fun for them. It sounds like a lot of fun. And it also sounds like um, you were very focused on specifics, not just looking at some skills or some knowledge, but also the attitudes and the values people had around language. And I loved how you said you wanted your learners to fall in love. Yes, absolutely. Arabic language is very deep and the complexity goes where the the depth of it. Uh, However, reading and writing with it should not be complex. It's very phonetic. So when you do all the permutations of the stuff that the students need to memorize in terms of the vowels and the the, uh, the forms of the letter, we get to roughly around uh, 2,000 symbols that they need to memorize. So the database is huge. 2,000 symbols is too much. And this is where we simplified it and introduced the vertical blending. We separated the vowels and we taught kids how to read, not just from right to left, how to read up, down, vertically. Is there anything to blend here? And then you move to the next. So the kids would be playing a game and they're acquiring a skill because if they want to succeed in this game, they need to figure out the skill accurately, right? Understood. Um, so we've been we've been talking, Diana, with entrepreneurs who are reimagining learning environments in terms of the mm-hmm. technologies and the modalities we're learning in. Also, uh, for those who are focused on just a better teaching model, that sounds like where you were focused on a bit of both, as well as that better learning experience, just not just the instruction on there. Um, How is this innovating in the language learning field in general? It's very hard. It's extremely hard. Uh, because, first of all, I'm a computer engineer. I'm not an Arabic teacher. I don't have a PhD in Arabic language. So the the advantage of this is you ha- you don't have like any learning or, or knowledge that you need to unlearn. You're not attached to the previous knowledge. So not having that previous knowledge gives you basically, you can think outside the box. And you can come up with creative uh, solutions. I remember 
uh, one person, uh, PhD Arabic and everything, and when I explained what we're doing, she was telling me, Diana, you want to change something? We've been teaching it like for over hundreds of years. I was like, yes, it's been a hundred years. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> one of the things we've also been talking with entrepreneurs about is how they're viewing success and impact in different ways, whether that's adoption, whether that's expansion. Um, can you maybe share an example or tell a story where you felt that Edutechnos made a particular difference in someone's experience or life? I always look at uh, qualitative stories and quantitative. Uh, there are stories in the numbers as well. I was invited to speak at WISE, World Innovation Summit for Education. And I met one of their accelerators uh, startup there, and they, the, their project was Ideas Box. And I was interested and curious, what do you guys do? They're like, yeah, we're having this box that has all books, tablets, and internet, Wi-Fi. And this box will be dropped in refugees camps so that kids can go there and it would be like a mini community center for them. And I was so excited. I was like, lucky you that you can do this. And I asked them, uh, what kind of content, what kind of books do you have? They're like, yeah, we have a lot of stories, blah, blah, what language? English, French, what about Arabic? There was nothing in Arabic. And it's the Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. Um, my heart just dropped. <laughs> it's like this huge innovation and amazing initiative. We have to have Arabic content in there. And without even just thinking, I was like, you know what? We're donating the access to these refugees for our resources. And the same thing in Athens when I went there and met with the uh, refugees' kids themselves as well. And... Um, they're bright, you know, but they've lost skills as well. And this is where I was like, okay, you know what, let's do this. Identity is important, uh, especially for refugees. It's it has to be number one priority for them. Uh, I, I say number, no, number one priority, of course, the shelter and all of that. After you do all of that, that comes next. Uh, I really understand the the importance of identity because of my background. I'm Palestinian who grew up in Kuwait, never been to Palestine. Arabic became like the, the center of my identity. And this is why it's important for the kids when, when they see like, okay, where's my home? Where are my stuff? What's going on there? It's important to see something familiar that they can identify with and I can, they can relate to. So this is why it was very important for me personally on a personal level to make sure that um, we do our part. I agree with you. Language is just so important to identity and that uh, has the, yeah. this an immeasurable impact that you can make there. Yeah. Let's uh, shift focus a little bit and talk a bit about the entrepreneur as learner, which is a theme for us in this episode. Um, you've already mentioned, you know, you're a computer engineer, you have studied the philosophy of education, you also have an MBA on here, obviously a lifelong learner yourself, but can you share with us what have been your key learnings as an entrepreneur through this journey and this path you've been on? I'm going to start with the, the illusion of if I start my own business, I'll have more time. And, they, and chasing the, the fantasy of a balanced life. Every phase of my life, I would be focused on something. Like right now, I'm reading a book, A Minute to Think. 
<laughs> and the importance of creating space in your life. And they used a very interesting terminology that stuck with me. They're saying if you want to build a fire in the fireplace, you layer the, the wood, the stuff in it, and then you put the match, right? You lit it up. But for this fire to be lit, it has to have space between the logs and the, the, the sticks. And without the space, it will not be lit. And I keep thinking about that. And I stopped feeling guilty about taking uh, breaks because I was like, I need my fire to lit. You've been a part of InnoVet as an accelerator and would just love to hear a little bit more about the community of InnoVet and what they've provided for you. So can you share in what ways InnoVet has supported your process of learning and your entrepreneurial journey? Absolutely. It's in a nutshell, a lot. <laughs> as you said, this, there's a community over there with like-minded people. And that's very critical because in my journey, uh, I was surrounded with entrepreneurs uh, businessmen or uh, business people and uh, educators. And uh, there were two opportunities in my life where I interacted with uh, tech uh, entrepreneurs and, uh, and it was remote relationship. It was fun. However, with end of ed, it's still remote, but we they're around here. I, I've met some of them in person and uh, the community over there is very beautiful. And we actually... Uh, expanded Edutechno's product line based on this collaboration. Right now, we have expanded into robotics and also in uh, uh, monitoring uh, emotional and uh, what do you call it, mental uh, well-being for uh, students and teachers. Now we included that in our offering. So this is something direct effect from uh, being part of N of Ed. And I wanted to re uh, like to uh, publish an article to be reviewed by peers, so peer review article. Uh, anytime I, I'm, I'm stuck, I just ask, well, I, I don't know what to do over here. I, and I just put it out there. And it's overwhelming the support that you get in terms of resources, in terms of talk to this, in terms of uh, introductions. Like one of the major introductions when I went to uh, Qatar, I was in Qatar in December. I was speaking there. They flew me to speak at Wise World Innovation Summit for Education. And uh, N of Ed basically intro introduced me to the... Uh, trade commissioner in Qatar. I met with them there. And basically, we are aligned right now with a plan moving forward to bring so that we can export Arabic language <laughs> solutions back to the Middle East, starting in Qatar, right? So it's uh, other, oh, it's not just the community and all of that, the knowledge that they share. There are meetings where they bring to the table new topics, new experiences, and uh, um, yeah, I've learned a lot from everyone there. Sounds like you've made some great introductions and connections and that community has been very important. Yes, absolutely. What I would like to share is just, you know, in terms of paying that forward and sharing back, we have a lot of people listening in. Do you have any advice you could offer for entrepreneurs as well as those who are supporting entrepreneurs? A network. Meet as many people as you can. Talk and learn from as many people as you can. I remember the, the most common question I would ask people is how? 
how did you do this? How did you get that? How did you solve this problem? The how was very important to me when I meet these people. And the, to, when networking, it's not just about, because this is something that I've learned throughout the years, it's not just about giving the business card. You don't want just to give a business card. You want to, to get value and to add value. So see how can you add value to that person you are, uh, you're just meeting right now and see if you can connect them with somebody. Just be in the business of adding value. Spread good karma, it comes back. <laughs> That's great advice. Thank you so much. I guess finally, Diana, I just would love to know what's next for you and what's next for Edgy Technos. There's a lot cooking. We already started our academy where we also teach teachers. Uh, I, initially, we started with COVID because there was a need. So we did it like uh, professional development courses synchronously and asynchronously. But then the more we, COVID uh, era, let's say, has evolved, uh, I realized there is one more muscle that needs to be trained, which is innovation development. And this is actually a direct result, Christy, from University of Toronto, the Dean of uh, Engineering when I, when I was there. He said something, and until today it stuck with me and I keep it as a mantra with me. He said, you're here at University of Toronto, you're gonna spend four or five years uh, studying engineering. You you're, have your whole life to learn how to become an engineer, how to be an engineer. In these four to five years that you are here, we're going to teach you how to think like an engineer. And that's a light bulb for me. Everything revolves around that, empowering that person, that teacher, that students, how to think, how to solve, basically. Thanks so much, Diana. Those are some excellent words to end on. I want to thank you for sharing this um, with us today, your journey as an entrepreneur, as a learner. And with, we wish you all the best with Edutechnos and looking forward to following your success. Thank you, Christy. You've just heard from Diana Aldejani, the founder of the education technology company EduTechnos. Virtual reality or VR. You may have seen the headsets before. You strap them on over your eyes and instead of standing at home in your living room, you can move and interact in a simulated world. What's different about Harrison's company is that they specialize in building VR experiences specifically for education. Their current projects focus on vocational learning and professional certification. I spoke with Harrison to learn how his own experience in a traditional classroom setting inspired him to think outside the box, or rather, think inside the VR headset. My name is Harrison Olagius, and I'm uh, currently the CEO and uh, co-founder of Up360. And uh, I'm the uh, chief everything officer. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in the early days uh, when we were really, really in startup mode, working out of my co-founder's basement, um, I literally did a little bit of everything, less the programming. Um, but, you know, my role today spans from, you know, working with clients to still supporting clients on like the technology side to kind of matching them with different types of VR content. Um, and then from a high level, I get involved kind of at the beginning uh, and then towards the end of like actual content creation. 
you know, through this interview, we're, we're hoping to shed some light on how your work is reimagining learning environments. So maybe can you tell us a bit about what Up360 is all about? Yeah, so Up360 um, is all about finding ways to make learning, um, whether that be like learning in the classroom or training um, or any type of hands-on education uh, fun. And we do that by leveraging virtual reality and you know we dabble with some other immersive technologies, but virtual reality is really our, our, our main focus. For someone who doesn't really know what virtual reality is, how might you describe what your company offers? And potentially that's maybe an example that you can give. And it, you know, since we're on a podcast for the listener there, if they were to close their eyes or put on a headset, what would they see or hear if they were in a part of a virtual reality experience? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you basically, you put on a headset and that headset enables you to step into any type of digitally created world. And then typically uh, you also have some type of like handheld controllers, um, very similar to something that you would see uh, with like, you know, the Nintendo Wii's um, and those controllers that allow you to um, interact with the digital world. It's like stepping into and being able to navigate and control your favorite video game or stepping into your favorite movie or stepping into your favorite TV show and actually being able to be present and feel like you're there. I always reference the TV show, uh, The Magic School Bus. So imagine, you know, The Magic School Bus, you know, Miss Frizzle, these crazy, wild, wacky, magical adventures of like, you know, you step onto the school bus and then you go to outer space, you go underwater, you, you know, transform into anything and everything, being the kind of direct comparison to the virtual reality that we work with. Excellent. And so in terms of an example, which sectors are you in? I know you mentioned you work with a variety of different partners. Yeah. So um, we span anything and everything that is uh, considered education, Um, but it ranges from like vocational careers in construction, like the trades, um, you know, carpentry, welding, electrical, all the way through to something like culinary or even nursing. Um, And the reason we, we, you know, we think that the the shift is happening with VR tying into those types of careers is because they're just naturally like super hands-on occupations and occupations that are in dire need of people. It's hard to put students uh, in the field and it's costly and, and, you know, high risk to put students in the field. So leveraging a technology like virtual reality, um, we're able to simulate measure and essentially assess any type of skill that you would you would be doing um, in the real workplace. So we've always taken kind of a facilitator first approach in, in terms of how we build it so that it works for teachers, because if it works for teachers, they're going to use it in the classroom. But if you're building things just for the end user being the learner, um, you're going to get yourself into trouble because if you know if a teacher picks up an experience and tries to go through it and you know even runs into one little tiny problem and they don't know how to quickly get past that problem, it's like they're going to put it on a shelf and they're going to forget about it and never go back to it again because teachers don't have um, the time or the capacity or the resources to uh, work through that themselves. The potential for organizations who have a need to train people in particular skills such as anything with hazardous materials or trauma-based responses or otherwise to be able to create a safe space for someone to practice these particular skills before they actually have to do this on the job is, uh, is, is tremendous. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and like most of our partners right now are coming out of the colleges. Um, we're working with you know partners all over Ontario, St. Lawrence College, Mohawk College, building a whole bunch of just 
cool different ways to you know change what they're doing on the ground and and, and augment it with with the technology so love to hear a bit more about um, some specific examples as we talk a little bit about um, some of the projects you're involved in. But first, I think that a lot of listeners will be very interested in your own story. Um, I understand that it's a mixture of a number of different experiences with entrepreneurial ventures, as well as just some of your own personal struggles with traditional education. So could you take me back in time and let us know what inspired or motivated you to start up 360 and Potentially, what was missing in your experience of a traditional classroom setting? My path to starting up 360 was not a very straight line. You know, it involved a lot of different um, successes and failures kind of along an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey, uh, you know, different types of companies, different types of industries, going through high school, going through even university, like I'm not a very traditional learner. Uh, I'm, I'm total ADD and uh, I have uh, dyslexia. Uh, so things like, you know, spelling and grammar and, you know, absorbing information through lectures and absorbing information through reading is just like not my forte. Um, but I was always super inspired by, you know, shows like The Magic School Bus or, you know, Discovery Channel, you know, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Um, and, you know, it was in having a lot of the conversations around, how can we leverage the technology for more meaningful, more more purposeful um, applications than just like entertainment and gaming uh, that all of a sudden, you know, in probably about 2017, 2018, we just kind of had a light bulb moment and we're like, virtual reality can make education as fun as, if not more fun than, you know, the days in the science class when the teacher puts on Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, you know, VR really could enable um, magic school bus style uh, learning across the board. Um, and we've been fixated on that ever since we kind of had that light bulb moment of like, VR really could change the way um, education and training is delivered. Uh, and it could make learning fun for people like myself that just like, do not thrive in a traditional sense and and really, you know, would benefit from more hands-on, more experiential, uh, more engaging means of like practicing and learning new types of, of, of knowledge. I, I love that you shared both. It was the potential for the technology that captivated you, um, but also from your own experiences, the method itself in terms of experiential learning, in terms of your own need, which is something I've also read about you in being a problem solver and a doer and learning by doing, which um, prompted you to also look at different ways for people to learn. One of my favorite quotes is by um, a, a writer named Robert McKee, and uh, he often writes for stage and screen. And his, his quote that I love the most is, the deepest pleasure of the theater is in learning without being taught. And I think we've all experienced that from watching a great movie or a book or another experience, as you, you mentioned, where you've been immersed in it and you, you have a chance to learn so much more than you might have if someone had tried to lecture you on the specific or same topic. Um, so for someone like yourself who mentioned you didn't thrive in traditional learning training, being able to flip that experience uh, for someone else and instead of having someone just read, you know, some theory or some knowledge-based screens if they're going through e-learning and then do a quiz, the potential in VR for people to be able to then work on a specific task and learn by doing something in a safe way and learn those skills and practice those skills is, is just tremendous. So um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what does success look for like for you as an entrepreneur and also can you share a story or example where Up360 has had the impact that you were looking for in creating these new learning experiences for people? Success for me, I don't really think it has a clear definition because, um, 
you know, I think it, it's it's constantly sliding in terms of like what success looks like. You know, uh, when it was just myself and and Matthew, my business partner, and a few few others working in his basement, it was like, oh, you know, it'd be great, and it'd be we'd be successful if we if we got to a point where we could, you know, move into an office. And you know, then it was like, okay, if we can get you know ten people, then it was like fifteen people, and you know, now we're sitting at you know twenty five, and you know, in terms of like success from a business perspective, you know, the company is, is relatively stable You know, our sales. I've pretty much doubled year over year. Um, so we're definitely feeling like we are successful just purely from like a, a growth perspective and a business perspective. And from my perspective, I'm just happy, uh, you know, pulling in enough money to keep the team afloat, to keep the team growing. Um, as long as we're building cool things and I wake up every morning feeling like, you know, I love what I do. Uh, and not dreading having to go to work every day, um, then I, I would call that a success. Great. So you sounds like you've got some specific business measures, some p- personal measures in there, and as well, ways of making impacts on others in terms of, again, transforming educational learning experiences. Um, could you give us an example of maybe a group or a partner that you've been working with that where you've had a chance to create and have that impact in, in terms of what specifically is the experience that you created for them throughout 360 and how did that make a difference in their learning experience? Uh, so one uh, really great example um, is our partners over at uh, St. Lawrence College, and they uh, are working on a couple of kind of hybrid experiences that combine virtual reality um, with in-person hands-on activities uh, to essentially uh, enable students to earn micro-credentials uh, across a number of different trades. So they have this trailer that's outfitted um, with VR, and in the trailer they also have a bunch of like mini hands-on experiences that are the real thing. Um, and they bring that from high school to high school to really allow the kids to learn and acquire like real life skills that they would need if they were to pursue further um, their their apprenticeship training. Uh, so we've worked with them to develop a series of assessments uh, in things like welding. Um, and it gives people that kind of virtual place to practice and build those skills and then finally pass in the virtual, they're then automatically put over to the real. Um, so it takes the the capacity off of the college to have to you know maybe have a hundred sets of the real thing by by putting them through the virtual thing. Uh, and then it, again, it gives the student a safe space um, to build the confidence, to kind of build the foundational skills. And then their kind of final check and balance is, okay, now go do it in, in, in real life. Uh, again, because of COVID, you know, there were some, some delays in terms of rolling it out, but they're really gonna be uh, looking to roll that out on a bigger scale in the next couple of years here. So I'm uh, excited to see, uh, you know, the impact that that has. Um, and then a couple of other projects, uh, there's I think seven or eight colleges that are uh, working under some provincially funded programs with eCampus uh, and kind of the province's digital strategy grant uh, to basically build training tools uh, that they'll use in the lab for something like power engineering. Mohawk College is the one leading this and basically students put the headset on and they're able to learn the process of and be assessed on the process of uh, cold starting a boiler. And one of the real problems that these these really niche specific um, courses have is there's a lot of equipment they need to buy. So power engineering, especially like equipment, is is 
crazy expensive, like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that they need to buy to be able to train the students on, you know, the, the, the latest and greatest pieces of equipment that they'll see when they get in the field. So the goal there with that group of colleges is essentially to leverage virtual reality to reduce, again, the amount of real equipment that those colleges need to, to buy and eventually, uh, you know, get it um, uh, stamped up for approval from somebody like the Trades Commission to say, you know, now instead of going out and spending, you know, half a million dollars on all this equipment at the beginning of the semester, you can use this virtual catalog and, you know, maybe you only need to buy one boiler instead of, you know, several different models of it. And then we're also working on building educational escape rooms. So basically through, you know, your traditional escape room style of like, you know, you put, you go into the room, you try to escape, you know, you saw, you, you get these clues and then, you know, you escape the room. Uh, we're applying that format to uh, education that is more curriculum based. So like things like mathematics, um, nursing, uh, and then we're doing something for renewable energy. Um, and essentially the only way to escape the room is to acquire the knowledge that's tied to the curriculum. But by the time you escape the room, you've acquired the knowledge you need uh, to match up with the learning objectives of the program. So uh, three different, really different applications, assessment, you know, uh, replacement of equipment, and then, you know, just pure education, but in a gamified sense, um, testing the waters just to see what, what works best, where, you know, what doesn't work. Um, but the goal is to kind of expand in all three of those, those verticals. A few things that I really took away from that is one, just the opportunity, you know, for such benefits to either the organization or the school that's um, creating this, but also the learners in terms of building confidence, as you mentioned, reducing anxiety that might be um, created around the time of trying something for the first time when you're in that safe environment um, on both the the school as well as the learner. Um, I could see those applications within workplaces in a, in a huge way. But one thing that was really interesting that I loved was when you talked a bit about just creating access to equipment and work experiences that people might not normally have or have easy access to just the opportunity for um, school settings, remote communities to reduce barriers around cost and expensive equipment and promote accessibility is just uh, tremendous in terms of future thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest direct benefits uh, from the educational perspective is like virtual reality is an equalizer. And you could give, uh, you know, kids in high school access to million dollar machinery. You know, you could, you could, put somebody in a northern community in, in you know, uh, a facility that, you know, is in the other side of the world. Uh, because again, like once it's built in VR, it's as simple as, you know, uh, sending somebody a file and, you know, having them put on a headset and they're able to access the same level of, of, of you know, immersiveness and quality, uh, you know, regardless of wherever they are in the world, um, especially with, you know, a lot of the advancements happening in terms of like internet connectivity, uh, things like Starlink, um, you know, the, the 5G networks, uh, it's, it's removing pretty much every single barrier that, that, that there is when it comes to education. Wonderful. We talked a bit about how the theme of this episode is around the entrepreneur as a learner. And I'd love to go back to Miss Frizzle. Um, <laughs> uh, for so many of us, Miss um, Frizzle was just the ideal educator in terms of her ability to create adventures um, for students. And one of the rallying cries she always had in her episodes was make mistakes learn. So in the theme of that, let's talk a bit about um, as an entrepreneur, what did learn, what does learning mean to you or how important has that been in your learning journey? Um, would love to hear about that as well as maybe what have been some of your key learnings along the path or the journey you've taken as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, the learning is like con constant. It, it really never ends. Um, you know, the minute you think you've learned something, then, you know, 
the the climate in terms of business or you know your team size or project or whatever it is you know something changes no matter how small it, it, or big it is and it's like okay now there's another you know hundred things I've, I'm gonna need to learn <laughs> um, a business really is like more complex than a machine like it, it's a living breathing organism and and you know there's no way you'll ever know everything you need to know about a business. Um, so I've I've really become realistic in, in in like in the last couple of years as as we've grown kind of beyond that that twenty person mark of like just you know focus on what you're good at focus on what you're passionate about um, you know keep learning in the areas that you want to learn and then bring in people that complement uh, your your um, your weaknesses uh, so that's been my approach to it again constantly learning constantly absorbing information and always be willing to um, just like accept what you do and don't know and never be afraid to go out, out and try to find people who are smarter than you. If you think you know it all, you know, that that's probably, you know, uh, the biggest flag right there because <laughs> you'll never know it all. And, you know, even myself, uh, there's still so many things, even like, you know, this morning, today, yesterday that uh, I know I need to figure out um, if we're going to keep growing the company. Tell me, in, in what ways maybe has then working with Innoved and being a part of this um, accelerator has that supported you in the journey? Yeah, so I think from a few different areas, you know, the, the team uh, over over at Innovate and Noisy, um, it, it's very different from any type of uh, accelerator that I've, I've been in because of their educational background and their educational focus. It, it's given me a bit more of a global um, perspective in terms of like the educational technology that we're producing here in Canada and just the education in general. Um, is something that has a lot more global uh, applicability than I ever would have imagined, um, and you know, through through a lot of the folks at OIZ who who do more more kind of global uh, kind of more diplomatic type of um, you know research and projects, it's really opened up my my way of thinking of like, okay, what we're building in Canada can scale. Uh, into almost any country, um, because Canada really has one of the higher standards, uh, highest standards of, of education, especially when it comes to um, you know something like health and safety or vocational uh, career training. Um, so that's been big, and starting to navigate those conversations, you know, introductions to you know other countries, you know other other ministry educations in in places again I would have never imagined us getting to um, has changed our trajectory in terms of you know where we're going and how we're going to get there, and then also just understanding the inner workings of the educational system on on even a local level um you know how the high schools operate how how teachers uh, are trained to educate and and assess and and you know measure performance of students um really helps us in terms of designing our products and designing uh our, our kind of our technology roadmap to make sure what we build again fits into uh things even at a, at a local level um so opening up globally and then just understanding the inner workings locally uh, really helped uh, adjust uh, kind of our trajectory and roadmap, both on, on the business side and then also on the technology side. Tell me, what, what has been maybe something that you've learned about um, your process or the ecosystem you're working in, or your sectors? Like, was there anything that surprised you about your partners or where you were planning to launch perhaps um, Up360? I think the biggest surprise to to me um, was knowing that education is actually one of Canada's biggest exports, and when you when you tie that to 
the global shift that's happened due to COVID and the kind of the mass adoption of, of digital technologies, it puts educational technology companies like ours um, in a really unique position to scale globally. And then understanding, again, um, how teachers are trained to teach um, was just really interesting. You know, it was it was it was something that I've never really had the opportunity to to get an in-depth look at. Um, so so that was surprising to us. And that, again, has has been something that, you know, we now think of a little bit more thoughtfully uh, when we're when we're talking about designing uh, and, and rolling out new new experiences, new products. What's next for Up360? Yeah, so we spent the last couple of years focused on content and we've realized that there's no way we're ever going to be able to build as much content as as everybody out there needs um so we're going to be working on a new platform that will help other content creators uh, get their content into the kind of the education and training space. Um, and it will help them kind of jump through some of those hurdles in terms of like, you know, things like security compliance, you know, passing analytics, integrating with learning management systems, all that fun stuff. It'll just make it a lot easier for other content creators, which in turn will give educators and, and, and institutions uh, access to more experiences. The hardware is, is, has accelerated so far in the last few few years and the content creators are so scattered all over the place. So we want to try to pull everybody into the same ecosystem um, to empower content creators and also empower the teachers so that if they're using it in one area, you know, but, you know, the teacher next door says, hey, you know, is there anything over here for art or is there anything over here for history? Um, we can give them that kind of self-sufficiency to be like, here's the art stuff, here's the history stuff, here's the, you know, whatever subject, you know, problem solving, communication, team building, um, be able to give them content really for every subject. Well, sounds like Up360 is making a huge impact and uh, there's a lot of learning going around, both for uh, partners that are involved with you, the learners and uh, your own team. One thing that uh, I think we saw early on with, with VR was that, you know, we came to the realization that VR can't do everything and anything. In a lot of in a lot of the ways the media talks about VR, it's like you know VR is going to do it all, um, left, right, and center. And that's when you start to get pushback from teachers because VR is never going to replace educators. VR is only meant to be a tool uh, for educators, um, and and like any other tool, uh, you know, it, it works really, really well for certain things, um, but it also doesn't work well for other things. We've got to build this for the facilitators, and they just have to know that it's a tool that can be used in in you know certain applications and and, and certain uh, cases, but it's not a tool that's ever going to replace them. The technology is seductive. Right. And I think that's a really good point. But it is a tool and um, as often only as good as the facilitator who is facilitating the experience or the design in it. But one thing also is often the reflection afterwards, too, as people yes. go into a simulation and they have this experience after they come out of that is how is that then the the educator or the facilitator able to help people understand what did you experience there? What did you learn from that? And what do you want to try to do differently as well to support that experience? So there's many different ways for educators to get involved in using this and supporting this and helping their students through um, that experience and the that experiential learning part, uh, aspect of the learning. Yes, and I actually it it pulls it back to our original reference, and I wrote a blog about this 
several years ago. I don't know where it is now, um, but it was basically using, again, the Magic School Bus as a framework for how VR fits into learning. And in every single episode, it starts with Miss Frizzle in the class, in the classroom, talking about or learning about or, you know, some hint at what they're going to be doing when they get on the bus. And then at the end of the adventure, you know, they find or save Miss Frizzle and then they end up back in the classroom talking about it again. And the pre-work and the post-work to what happens in the experience itself is the format that I truly believe will, will be how this technology scales across education and into the school system. Because what happens outside of the headset um, is just as important, if not more, than what happens in the headset. Harrison, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Thanks so much for sharing your experiences, what you've learned, and as well how you're making a difference for learners and changing our learning environments for educators as well. Thank you. My pleasure. That was Harrison Elegis, the CEO and founder of Up360, a VR company that builds simulated environments to support experiential learning. Speaking with today's guests, we've seen how the experience of learning is just as important as the outcome. By building new technological solutions like VR-based certification at Up360 and creating alternative learning platforms like Edutechnos, our guests are advancing not only new tools, but pedagogical approaches. From Diana, we learned how an online platform is inspiring children to fall in love with Arabic and helping refugees maintain connection to their identity through language. For Harrison, Access and accessibility is at the heart of his VR projects, but he cautions us that tech is secondary to empowering the teachers who facilitate experiential learning. Both Diana and Harrison are looking to remove barriers in education, but none of this would be possible without their own careful and dedicated approach to continuous learning. In our next episode of the InnoVet Exchange, we'll reach two advisors from InnoVet's community of scholars and educators to discuss what's needed to improve entrepreneurship education. The InnoVet Exchange is produced by Cited Media in collaboration with InnoVet. For more community-partnered and research communication podcasts, visit citedmedia.ca. Samantha Pursuto is InnoVet's lead coordinator on this podcast. Ellie Payne-Smith is the lead producer, and David Tobias is our production manager. I've been your host, Christy Ivan. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.